welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn, and this is a comics podcast. In fact, this is the kind of comics podcast for the sort of nerds who get excited to interview members of the New York City Council who are comics geeks about their comics fandom. You know, I've been threatening to do this for a while, and I'm excited to finally make it a reality. I'm being joined by fellow geek New York City Council member Ben Kalos. Uh, and Ben and I have gone back for a while, and we know each other as geeks and as friends for quite some time, um, since like blogging days, practically. Uh, and I'm really excited to have him join me on the show and introduce him to you, and we can talk a bit about wearing the different hats of being a geek and being an elected official and how these identities kind of come together, uh, what are the specific things that geeks might not know about elected officials, and his own life and story and fandom. Uh, and in New York political work. So uh, this is definitely something different. I don't know if other elected officials have appeared on comics podcasts. Perhaps this is a very, very first. So here's a little bio about Ben. Um, ben, New York City Council member Ben Kalos has never learned the lesson about not choosing to triple class in D&D. He is an attorney turned software developer turned elected official. He recently made headlines with the news that Graphic Policy broke, my website, uh, broke first, uh, that he received a letter from Marvel for a campaign email that included a cosplay as Captain America from a kid's Halloween parade on Roosevelt Island. Marvel sent him a cease and desist. Uh, as a city council member, he's been focused on fighting corruption, where he authored the laws to make being an elected official a full-time job, eliminated bonus pay for members for committee assignments called Lulu's, very notorious in New York, and most recently won a long-time battle to get big money out of New York City politics with full public matching for donations from individuals like you or me uh, who live in New York City. Um, without the corrupting influence of real estate, he's been free to fight to open up thousands of units of affordable housing, securing... 275 million for resistant, sorry, resilient waterfront parks and winning over a thousand new pre-kindergarten seats. Constituents would say his most important achievement is getting new trash cans on every corner. You can find him at the Anime NYC convention, listening to Star Talk and graphic policy radio podcasts with his 21 month old daughter. And uh, you are invited to join him in person in his office, 244 East 93rd Street on the first Friday of the month from 8 a.m. to 8 to 10 a.m. Or you can come to your co-op condo or tenants association for Ben in your building. Uh, so welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you for having me. And I should add to that bio, you can now find me on Graphic Policy Radio. That's right. This is very exciting. Um, I think like we established that we were both big political nerds uh, and comics geeks type folks pretty much pretty much right away when we met. Um, so this has been some this has been some time in the making. How, how did you first enter comics fandom or pop culture geekery uh, as a young person? I, I grew up in Manhattan and I grew up with a single mom and I don't know if many kids had allowance. I did and uh, I think it started off at like a quarter a week. Uh, and I remember saving up those quarters, and I wasn't one for buying candy. I was one for going to the comic book store, probably browsing uh, longer than any folks could or should. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many listeners got away with kind of like just sitting in the comic shop, reading as many comics as they could before they were forced to finally buy something. And uh, way back in the day, a 
buck or a buck twenty-five could actually buy you an issue of a comic, and so I think I would read everything. But uh, I, I kind of was a big uh, DC fan, and I mm. think that is a lot of uh, the collection of comics I have in a huge box at home, uh, much to my wife's consternation. Well, God bless her. I mean, what was your comic book store growing up mostly? And I wonder if it's still there. I don't think it's still there. I uh, I lived on 105th Street and West End Avenue. Uh, and uh, I went to a Jewish school on 68th Street. So I would take the M68 across town, and then I would take the M104. And I would usually get off the bus early about... Uh, three quarters of a mile from home and go to the comic book store in the nineties. Mm. Uh, and this is okay. bringing back a lot of memories for me. Yeah. I don't know the stores from that part of town that well enough to be able to even throw out a name, but New York city is definitely famous for having co- really great comic stores. Um, and that's do you, like, what were the main titles you were reading? Was, was this the age of the Wolfman Perez new teen Titans? No, I mean, that was even probably before that. No, this was like years, I first got into it like years before they killed off Superman. Uh, I remember being really, really excited when they released the 2099 series, uh, where they like rebooted every single uh, major character as a Mm. 2099 uh, 2099, uh, counterpart, and just how the new technology would inform uh, their characters and uh, actually... This is really weird, but uh, the Punisher uh, 2099 like actually informed my entire life and some of my decision making. Uh, was <laughs> okay, a, a very, spill. It it was it was this moment where uh, I think the the Punisher was was doing what the Punisher does, and they were talking about a, a person's last moments. And in that comic, they postulated that it is possible that uh, our concept of the afterlife is merely the brain uh, stretching out a person's last moment for eternity. And whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you believe in an afterlife, that sort of made sense to me and kind of fits into this rubric of like, if you do good things, then maybe you're more likely to have a situation where that works well, and if you do bad things, it might be uh, something where the Punisher comes and uh, your last moments in your eternity might not be what you want. Wow. Huh. <laughs> pretty deep. That's, that's pretty <laughs> the theological, Punisher. yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, but like as a kid in New York City in the 80s, I, did, what, like, did you feel like the New York City that was being shown on the page looked anything uh, like what you were experiencing, you know, I guess you were kind of in Midtown a fair amount as well as the Upper West Side. I would say that going to a, a Jewish school, uh, I was probably very sheltered. And uh, no, I, I don't think I ever identified seeing what was in there uh, with any sort of real life. But I think a lot of what I was seeing was very much fantasy and even what I saw of, of Batman uh, and Superman never never really uh, I, I got that metropolis and, and what have you are supposed to be New York City but it really never seemed like New York City 
Yeah, I mean, people, I don't know, some people are like, well, Gotham is New York, because Gotham is technically in New Jersey, and like, and Metropolis is Chicago, and I've never felt really comfortable with like saying any of that stuff was definitively the case, so. Only in the TV versions or, or the movie versions where they go out of their way to weave in uh, different iconic uh, buildings and uh, landmarks would I ever feel like it was one way or the other. So I'm surprised that you're not like all about Spider-Man as a New York kid, though. Like that's like the most New York kid comic of all, really. It, it, it's I, I was actually uh, just at an event. It's literally what elected officials do. We spend all night going to different events. And I was in a heated argument with uh, the, the president of one of the public housing developments about Spider-Man versus Captain America. Hmm. Uh, I think growing up for me, I... I liked uh, Superman, I liked uh, Batman, I liked Wolverine, I, I liked Superboy probably more than I should have. And <laughs> Look, he had the jacket and the hair. <laughs> uh, and I'm just trying to think, there was also a lot of the like off-brand at the time and the image universe and other things where like when those comics made their way home, like somehow they got lost because my mom really didn't approve of that yeah. much blood and gore. I remember the pit. The pit survived at my house about a week before uh, my mom got rid of it. They had too many teeth. It, it was probably for the best. <laughs> um, so, so that's that's really cool that you sort of had you know that initial sort of connection through comics. Did, did you do you remember um, thinking much about like the comics as political art as you got older? Well, yeah, because so much of it is actually dealing with the politics of the day. And I think that's one of the things that I love about science fiction, which is almost since its inception, it's always been a commentary on what's happening in the uh, world around us. Uh, I think somebody just uh, post, I saw somebody post on social media about how uh, folks were saying, well, how can they make Superman relevant to uh this day and age and somebody made a checklist of like immigrant fighting a billionaire who happens to be the president uh, at one point in that universe and uh, often does the right thing fighting and standing up to people who are the government and it seems like all four boxes were checked for Superman to be more relevant than ever. Ever, yeah, definitely. And as a journalist, you know, yeah, I feel like the fans have definitely responded to that thread with a lot of really good counter ideas and suggestions. Um, I actually, one, did you know, however, that there actually is a superhero who considered running for borough president, although of Brooklyn, not of Manhattan? Who is that? In uh, a, you know, like not bad, but not amazing run from the earlier 2000s, Luke Cage. Uh, people were suggesting that he run for Brooklyn Borough President and like a solo Avengers spinoff title that came out at the time. I I love it. Uh, my, my only familiarity is from Netflix, but so was his character in Brooklyn at the time? Yeah, or was his, character he in Manhattan? Was, his character was in Brooklyn then, even though he's like, you know, kind of quintessentially Harlem. I don't know whether they were just moving people around and stuff like that. But do you have any favorite actual elected officials in comics or from comics or favorite elected official nemesis? Obviously, Lex Luthor is like the worst, but. Um... 
I, I have to think about that. I'm trying to figure out who ended up in political office out of all the comics. Well, we have Senator Barbara Gordon, but that was definitely from before our time. Um, yeah. uh, I, you know, they had Oliver Queen as mayor for a while and can only sometimes be written convincingly. Uh, but I think that a lot of the people sometimes making comics don't really necessarily have the knowledge of like what it actually is like serving in office and like what that actually looks like. It is a little bit hard for those of us who perhaps know a bit too much to get too enthusiastic about some of these portrayals. So I think, you know, the main comic that really just focused on it was Ex Machina, which was, um, yes, Ex Machina from Brian K. Vaughan and Tony Harris, which was put out um, under Wildstorm imprint, um, which is actually about a mayor and superhero that felt more like written by somebody who actually knew anything about city government than than the huge i'll be honest um i think in every genre and every fandom folks have expertise and i'd love to say folks who love politics have their expertise but i'll i'll tell you that as a politician who works with other politicians uh the joke i always say is i, I go to events and I ask people who knows what a city council member is or does and rarely does a hand go up. And I usually say, well, that's okay, because a lot of my colleagues don't know that answer either. And yeah. uh, I think with any job, uh, it's really what you make of it. And some folks who have been, who've taken over different comic book lines have done amazing things with them. Uh, some people have been uh, creative and done things that upset the fans, uh, that it takes a couple of decades for people to appreciate later. Uh, and Ooh, I think the same thing goes through. Give me an example. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the uh, the example that a couple of my friends uh, brought to mind uh, in light of the letter that I received was just being uh, pretty upset about uh, Mark Grunewald back in '87 and uh, Captain America issue 332. Which one was that? Uh, so, so after I got the letter from Marvel, uh, one of my friends from law school, and I went to law school about, uh, not to date myself, about 14 years ago, uh, said, uh, I, 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 read, I read comic book review, and uh, I don't see your name come up there very often, if not ever. I don't see any politicians. Uh, but don't worry about losing the shield. It happened to the cap in issue 332. Uh, and the good news is you should get it back by issue 350. <laughs> so for those who didn't know, um, Ben had an email that was just a really good fundraising email uh, I, that I sent to some of the folks who I, I train in digital strategy to say like, hey, look at this good fundraising email. Um, and uh, Graphic Policy had written it up on the website in which he's carrying, he's dressed as Captain America for a children's Halloween parade. And you quoted um, the movie actually with the, uh, what was the, what was the subject line? He can do, he can do this all day. Yep. It was pretty glorious. And, uh, and Marvel sent a cease and desist letter, um, saying that, uh, it was that they can't, I, I I'm actually not even sure exactly what their complaint was it basically being like, God forbid one should actually appear in a Captain Marvel costume in any way, sorry, Captain America costume in anything political that they didn't create. So then that was a whole story. Um, which I was just amazed at how quick they were out the gate. But, uh, I, but yeah, so that was, we had a little piece on that at, at graphic policy. Um, what, what was, did you, 
like when you did that that fundraising email was I knew it was a tie to it was tied to Halloween obviously and the costume opportunity but what 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 was the whole story behind that so it's actually a, a pretty long story uh when I first got elected uh I had to go to these parades and so in New York City, there's big parades. So there's the Israel Day Parade, there's the Puerto Rican Day Parade, there's the African American Day Parade. Uh, and in my district on Roosevelt Island, there's a Halloween parade. So I went my first year wearing a suit and I, I practically got booed and folks were, <laughs> the kids dress up, the parents dress up. If you're there, you're in costume and people take it really seriously. So the next year I was like, I have to dress up. What do I dress up as? And I, I actually had an entire staff meeting about this and we were arguing. And so I, I'm a big fan of, of Superman and the DC universe, at least from the comic books. I really haven't been as thrilled by the DC movies. And mm -hmm. uh, my staff was like, you can't be Superman. Nobody likes Superman. Nobody can like relate to him. And so we were going through the different fo folks and like, could it be Deadpool and like, as a politician, oh, no. can I really dress as Deadpool given no. like his content? So they, they agreed with you, Alana. They, they vetoed uh, Deadpool. I wanted to do Batman, but like the costumes are, are really, if you want to get a good Batman costume, that's going to set you back a lot. And so we kind of ended up uh, settling on Deadpool. And uh, my staff was just like, you can't just go get like a cheap costume. So I ended up doing like a, a full-on cosplay costume, and uh, I, I even like went and got the shield, and I even upgraded it to their 75th edition, like 60-pound aluminum, beautiful shield. And uh, so I've been marching in that with for the past five or so years on Roosevelt's Island. And uh, on the campaign side, the folks were like, "We think this is cool. We think this is cute." And we think it's worth sending out. And I was like, I'm really afraid of getting bullied for being a nerd. Um, I, and they said, just do it. We'll be fine. And so we sent it out. And uh, I, I thought it was a, a laugh. A lot of constituents thought it was funny. Uh, and then we got this letter. <laughs> yeah. I'm amazed at how fast they were. And at first I was like, oh, God, did Marvel write to you because they read it on our website? And like, I literally went and did the math to determine like how quickly they would have had to have that come out. But um, yeah, we, we got it within about two and a half, three hours, which was fairly impressive. Uh, that being said, the, the letter was, was I think the nicest, if you want to call it a cease and desist, but it was incredibly nice. It said, uh, while Marvel appreciates your obvious affection for our properties and welcomes your support as a fan, uh, and we just asked that our characters not be used for political purposes or to support a political campaign. And so I got that. I actually emailed them with just like, are you serious? And I, I actually had a chance to speak to their uh, chief counsel, who was just like, you can wear the costume, do whatever you want. Just don't send out fundraising emails with it. And so yeah. like, it, it seemed pretty, pretty straightforward. And I, I think everyone got a good laugh out of the whole thing. Well, I'm glad they gave you the exact context of like what was the issue and didn't make it so broad. But I would really like for them to send some cease and desist letters to all of the uh, people selling Punisher, quote unquote, Blue Lives Matter, like fascist symbols, stickers, T-shirts and flags on the boardwalk uh, and every East Coast 
beach that I've been to for the past several years, or maybe to some of those police departments that are running Punisher stickers on their police trucks, which is just politically disgusting. Um, and I have not seen them do that yet. So uh, I guess it's because they know you're more of a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and perhaps they're concerned that the people making the fascist symbols might be actual scary fascists, which they think they probably are. Um, anyway, that's my editorializing. But I, I always enjoy seeing, you know, people who are in office, like being their full genuine selves, because I think that's a way that people connect with us. And I think the first time I actually saw anything written about you uh, outside of like the New York press specifically was um, when you were running for office for city council in the primary in New York City, the primary for city council is like the only election that matters. Um, anyway, uh, and some one of the guys running against you had dug up uh, a story about how you had hosted a Battlestar Galactica Seder. And they felt like this was going to like be the thing that ended you in the campaign. And I just loved how you were like, yep, yeah, I did that. And everybody else was like, that sounds nice or okay, whatever. Or wow, that's cool. And that was that. Like, I, I thought it was amazing. Like they thought that you being a big geek was going to be this like big political liability. And, and you know, how your, your response to that was quite, quite different. How, how did that, how did that come down for you? God, what so I- year was that even? So that was back in 2013, and uh, something that your readers should know is that when you stand for political office, even if you're going up against an incumbent in a long-shot race, uh, there's this whole thing of opposition research where people (laughs) literally hire firms and private eyes to like follow you around, go through anything and everything you've ever done in your life. And uh, in this case, they found that I had a domain registered uh, to me called BattlestarGalacticaSater.org or com or what have you. And uh, when the reporter reached out, they were actually looking to write something that was very negative. And uh, we kind of talked to them about, like, tell your truth, but, like, please don't tell it in a way that shames anyone for being a nerd and listen i grew up as an orthodox jew and uh, i'm still very observant but even as a person who observes passover uh you have this situation where battlestar galactica uh just like so many stories throughout history is a telling of the exodus and the return home and so it seemed like the entire plot of the show fit squarely within the uh, Haggadah and was a way to uh, make it very accessible to new folks. And so mm-hmm. a handful of friends who are still involved in politics did this. And I really geeked out. And I, I got to be there for the first one. And I was like, I love what you're doing. And, and I'm a free and open source software developer. So when you do something that's creative, if the people who are the creatives behind it are open to sharing it. And so I was just like, I need to make a wiki. I want to outsource this to the world and see if other people want to do this. And uh, so I, I, I thought it was a blast. And I'm, I actually just popped it up. And it's available at opensitter.org, uh, which is completely amazing that people can still have access to this uh, project. 
I love it. Yeah, my friend said about also a Galactica Seder too. But I just loved that. Like in 2013, an opposition research firm thought that you having like a pop culturally, politically engaged Seder was going to be a major like liability. And I don't know that an opposition research firm looking up a candidate in 2019 would have thought the same thing, would think that anymore. Do you know what I mean? I, I think they still do. Uh, and I, I think that they will still try, but I think it's up to folks like graphic policy and others when something happens like that to stand up and say, we're okay with that. And in fact, this is now mainstream. Yeah. I mean, do you think that in a New York and like in the specifically in the context of like New York City, you know, which like which is the political context that I know best and you know best, like is being seen as like a geek, like a political liability or if it or only if it's past a certain level. Like, I think that like there are certain kinds of things that people would take as being, oh, that's a step too far in the geek direction. But there's other stuff that is just sort of like this is what popular culture is now. And people would be like, well, you know, of course. At least that's my read on it. I think, in, in all honesty, I'm still really cautious. I'm still really nervous about it. Uh, I'm always concerned that, like, even with the Captain America thing, while we're having a laugh, uh, I'm hoping folks are laughing with me and not at me. But it is something I'm sensitive to. And it's one of those things where I, I had the privilege of going to the Bronx High School of Science here in New York City. And what I will say is the school was old, the faculty was old, uh, and uh, we, our textbooks were old. But the one thing that we did have was a group of really smart, nerdy kids who were all there because they wanted to go to college. And it was the only four years of my life that I can remember that I never got bullied or picked on for being smart or nerdy. And uh, that includes my time in the city council where... Uh, folks aren't always, uh, the kindest to me for being a nerd. Man, I'm going to just have to go and beat up some bullies there. Well, I know that Carlos Menchaca and I have talked about, uh, Legion on television and he's actually sent in some questions to the show about it. So there's at least, there's at least a few other science fiction nerds serving in the New York city council, but, um, yeah, there's definitely been some people through there over the years who might not be, uh, I'll just say smart in the first place, and also certainly tons of people who are bullies. Um, and I guess that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that like someone's perspective as a nerd would definitely inform the kind of person they are running for office. And it, it, it pains me to see the weaponization of nerd identity being used to attack women and people of color specifically being done by like white male nerd like self-proclaimed nerds many of whom don't even know comics and are just sort of using this as a way to attack other people but some of whom do um that's happened in recent years i mean what do you think that your perspective as a comics geek like brings to you as a and and, and comics and science fiction more broadly i mean brings to you as, as someone working and doing political work as an elected official Big question. I want to just take two pieces of it. I think one, I just want to talk about the, the culture. And so I think when I got involved, I was very lucky to find a group of folks where like, 
I could go to a science fiction convention, walk into a room where I didn't know anything, and people welcomed me and, and wanted to share their love of it. And I think that is what our culture should be doing, uh, where if somebody is new, we should welcome them in. I do get a little bit concerned because I think that everyone is faking it till they make it in one way or another. And <laughs> so uh, when people, I got overwhelming positive response, but like a handful of folks are like, is this guy even a fan? Is he just doing this to like, uh, curry favor with young voters or things like that and i was kind of like wow i want to live in the world where like politicians have to cosplay because they want votes uh <laughs> but like i was really grateful because like folks who are really established and like a friend from high school sarah lit who like is was so way cooler than me in high school and is still way cooler than me i mean yeah. she lived the dream got to work at dc now she's at like Ahoy Comics where they're publishing things that DC wouldn't publish uh, like Second Coming. So she's doing this great work and she actually like put out a supportive tweet being like, I know Kalos and like he is legit a, a huge nerd. And like, I, I really appreciate that. And I do want to get to a place in our culture where like if somebody is is or isn't enough or is a lot or what have you, we just say, you know what? You're welcome, and we want to support you, and here's the next thing you should read or watch. So I think that's one piece. Uh, and I think um, the, the second piece is uh, when you look up to superheroes, it changes your frame of reference, and it's less about... Uh, I think when I talk to other elected officials, they're focused on what is the next election? What is the, uh, and how do they get, how do they win that next elected election? And so I think there's a problem in politics when politicians are only focused on their next election. Uh, and I guess for me, I've just been focused on how much good can I do with the limited time that I have on this planet, with this limited time that I get to be an elected official and like, how close to being a superhero can I actually get? <laughs> Which is, is kind of impossible, but like, it doesn't hurt to try. I love it. It actually brings me to a great question from a friend, uh, Jed Miller, uh, who sent in, which was, um, sci-fi often imagines or implies different models of governing than our own. When it comes to including people in decisions about society, which sci-fi examples does Councilman Kalos think are interesting? That is a uh, tough question in terms of how to govern in general. So one thought is that we should have a uh, delegate democracy where you elect somebody based on their values and they make decisions on their own based on uh, the fact that they laid out a clear platform for you and that's what you elected them to do. The other option would be a representative democracy where your elected officials are, are just doing whatever they are told. Uh, and uh, in that case, there may be an issue with tyranny of the majority. Uh, I was once, uh, I'm a software developer too, and I was once at a uh, conference and uh, somebody asked me a really tough uh, software, computer science nerd mean question. And they make these t-shirts that say, leave me alone or I'll replace you with a very simple shell script. Uh, hmm. and uh, basically this concept of automation. And so recently I went back to the Bronx High School of Science to uh, 
open a new uh, robotics lab. And what politicians do is we cut ribbons. These kids at Bronx Science are trying to take me out of a job. They programmed a robot to cut the ribbon. And so I'm a big fan of Isaac Asimov and uh, mm -hmm. his entire robot series. And at the end of the robot series, and spoiler alert, if you haven't read Asimov and you haven't read the final story. You uh, can spoil Asimov. It's okay. It, <laughs> he's been around for a while, but, I, but I'm, I'm hoping folks will stop listening for like 30 seconds. But uh, at the end, they have a robot that is running the, the, the means of production for the world. And there are still food shortages occasionally, and there are still places where things go wrong. And the question being is, if this robot is, is all-knowing and all-powerful, why are things going wrong? And the answer that they postulate is, even in a perfect utopian society, uh, the, the, the software problem would be the humans who have to uh, do the things the computers can't. And so if perhaps there's a shortage of bread from a bread factory, maybe the computer did it on purpose because the human that is running it is corrupt and needs to be replaced. And so this notion of a computer whose number one rule is to protect humanity, knowing that sometimes it has to do certain things in order to get humans who are trying to harm other humans out of the way. And so that was always fascinating to me because the question that I got at this conference is, would you be open to replacing yourself with AI? And uh, <laughs> that being said, New York City actually passed legislation to study uh, the biases of algorithms and AI. And unfortunately, we've gotten a disappointing result. But I guess the answer is pretty much all over the place. But for me, I find a balance between uh, protecting the minority from a tyrannical majority and being very in touch with constituents. I invite folks, and I hope listeners will actually stop by our uh, first Friday. The next one is on December 6th, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. I want to hear from you. I want to <laughs> talk to you. I want to do better. And I want to meet everybody in the borough of Manhattan. And then uh, big picture is just uh, using technology, using uh, intelligence and data to make better decisions. I mean, I'm not surprised that this, I love this answer, by the way, but you know, I'm not surprised though that the, that the study, you know, was not promising. I mean, we know how much bias influences algorithm and like, I don't know how you get past that when humans can't do this. And I wouldn't trust, you know, programmers like, you know, there's no, no, nobody's race blind nothing is free of existing in a sexist context. I don't know. I think it's not something we can over that we can overly compensate. The issue with the task force that was appointed is they had difficulty determining what, where they should intervene, and should they intervene at the legislative code level and and rules and policies that were discriminatory, or should they only look at algorithms? What do you do with AI behavior? Uh, and how do you deal even with things like Excel sheets? And for me, I would just say, let's focus on the digital decision making. And honestly, when, when I started practicing as an attorney, people were still doing calculations on uh, calculators. 
And I'm afraid of calculators because I'm, I'm a human, I'm error prone. And I love Excel because one of the things about Excel is you can analyze massive troves of data. Uh, you can also use SQL for that when you deal with even larger data sets. And if the data looks like something's wrong, you can look at a SQL query, you can look at an Excel equation, and I make a lot of mistakes there, but in that case, it's a lot easier to catch and fix. And so I would love to go back with this commission, look at the algorithms, and look at the outcomes and see if there's ways of fixing it and, and tweaking it. But at least with those situations, we can all get around a table and change what the computer is doing. And I get nervous. I get very nervous around uh, human error or human bias and the fact that a large portion of our education system uh, and a large portion of our criminal justice system involves human bias and, and often uh, has an impact on women and people of color. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a negative way, I might add. Yes, yes. That was a, certainly, certainly a given. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that like, one of the great things about science fiction and genre is, you know, it, it gives you a way to look at some of these complexities. I, I, wh what are you reading? Are you reading anything now or watching anything now that you feel like is really saying interesting, th interesting things about politics and society right now? I do politics more than full time. <laughs> <laughs> so from like 6 a.m. to uh, we're, we're recording this now at almost 10 o'clock. So when I'm not doing politics, I, I like to watch the most like cotton candy light science fiction possible. Uh, and uh, so, so uh, my wife and I do a lot of Netflixing without as much chilling as we once uh, would have done. Um, and there was a recent series on Netflix. Uh, my wife is actually a, uh, is a Jewish immigrant from Russia. She came over uh, about 20 years ago. And so we, I don't know if you and your uh, significant other have this problem, but we always have the problem of finding a show that both of us like. And so there's this show no, produced. <laughs> that's like the one thing we're really good. That's not true. We're good at that. We're, we're like, yeah, not our problem, but continue. This is a common, common, common thing for, for a great number of couples. Yes. So there's a show called Better Than Us, and it's in Russian. Mm. And so it examines <laughs> this concept of uh, the, these robots that uh, being integrated into society and how they can be brought in and it goes into it, it's it's pretty cool i i would urge people to uh take a watch um and i was always a big fan of the outer limits and mm. uh the netflix just did a new version of it called black mirror and you should definitely get Gustav, state senator gustavo rivera on the show next <laughs> Uh, he is the reason I got into Black Mirror. Oh, I am that's so, so funny. I'm not surprised. I'm really angry at him for getting me into Black Mirror. Uh, <laughs> another spoiler alert, first episode, first season is about politics. And watching it before I got elected, I felt a certain way. And watching it after I got elected, I felt a certain way. And so the question in that episode for anyone listening would be, who is the villain? 
And uh, just a spoiler alert, so just like I would fast forward 30 seconds forward, but I think that there's something wrong, at least in that episode, about a world and a society that would demand elected officials to engage in things that are probably things they shouldn't have engaged in in the begin with. Uh, so mm. that's all that for that spoiler. But Black Mirror, uh, I, it's, it's, it kind of goes straight into modern day politics. Uh, yeah. They've even yeah. run car- uh, comic book and, and video game characters for public office and, and one, which was also a, a very scary episode. Uh, mm. And I don't know, did you see Bandersnatch by any chance? No, no, I did not. So it was a choose-your-own-adventure episode, and um, I actually figured out a a. There's very many. There's an infinite number of stories. Pretty much, it's about like it's not infinite. It's about two thousand different combinations that you can do, uh, but most of the endings are pretty horrific, and I I commented on my social media, and tagged. Uh, this the software company in the Bandersnatch movie that they created a Facebook profile, and uh, they trolled me back pretty hard. Uh, so uh, <laughs> they they are definitely not they they, they it, the story impressed me and their marketing team impressed me, and I'm I'm really hoping it was their marketing team because they really trolled me hard. Wow. What are your what do you what do you feel like uh, geeks should know who are interested in running for office someday? I'm an introvert, and uh, some would say that about President Obama, and a lot of my friends growing up, and a lot of my friends that I still hang out with would be actually perfectly fine getting together on a Saturday or a Sunday with a bunch of comics. Uh, or what have you, and like sitting in our respective corners, reading our respective uh, comics and magazines or what have you, and kind of like ignoring each other, but being in the same space, and then like also like speaking up and like arguing about something we read or what have you. And um, I think that that's not a reason not to go into politics. Uh, for me, like it takes a lot of energy, but I do get time to recuperate when I'm home with my wife and family. And uh, I think that the world would better be a better place if folks who aspired for a better world uh, were getting into politics. Yeah, I definitely felt like, you know, politics is too important to leave it up to like, the guys in the blue suits who are careerists and don't actually care about fighting for social change. Now, you might own a blue suit, but that's only because you actually ran for office. <laughs> um, well, I, I think really it's also true. important just as, as a, a, a cisgendered white male for those who haven't Googled me and, and are just listening. I have privilege. And I need to use that privilege, uh, if I'm going to have it, to help others who don't have it. And that, that's our role. And so in the city council, there's 51 members. And according to the US Census, the New York city of New York is 20, uh, 51% women, which means we need to have 26 women elected into the city council. Uh, I've been endorsing as many women as I can and uh, helping to elect as many women 
Uh, we've actually seen fewer women elected to the city council, especially because incumbent assembly members and uh, state senators have been running for city council. Yeah. And, and we have yeah. some like state senators who sh shouldn't be in the city council, uh, who continue to make homophobic remarks. Uh, and it's just wrong. We stripped their committee, but like, it, it's pretty bad in, in New York. So if you live in the Bronx, uh, we, we, uh, this person's actually running yes. for Congress, but, uh, would love to see a, a, a young woman of color run against this man and, uh, tell him that, uh, our brothers and sisters in the LGBT community are welcome and, uh, that hate has no place in politics. And, and so we, we need to stand up. We need to make room. And uh, we need to support. Uh, we need to support women. We need to support people of color. And we need to make sure that there's that people in the city of New York are adequately represented, and see a city council uh, that is representative of them and reflects them. Oh yes, tell me about your experiences with the Anime NYC conference. Knowing, just for the record, that a lot of our listeners and myself included, are not particularly knowledgeable about anime. And so some things might be a little bit over our head, but but let, let's give it a go. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, comics are comics and uh, animation As is animation, uh, whether they they're in be. English or in Japanese. And mm -hmm. I'll be very honest, uh, I'm, I've always been a little afraid of getting shamed for being a nerd. And so... I thought maybe if I could participate in a science fiction convention, less as a fan, but more as an official with kind of a wink and a nod, that like I could get away with it. So I, I reached out to Comic-Con and it's, it's kind of huge here in New York City and it's kind of a very big deal and said like, I'd love to participate. I just need some way for me to participate in my official capacity so I can feel safe as being both a politician and a nerd. And they kind of were like, we're really big and you're kind of not that important. And so like, it's disappointing. They're kind of my white whale. And like one day I hope to participate. And if they're listening, maybe they will. Uh, but mm -hmm. right around then, uh, about, uh, I think, three or four years ago, uh, after Comic-Con said no to me, this new Anime NYC convention was starting up. So we, I actually reached out uh, to the uh, founder uh, and said, hey, uh, could I participate? I like anime. I love it. I grew up on it. Uh, and <laughs> we, did, we don't always have the best TV in the United States. And so being able to actually like download uh, TV from Japan with fan subs was kind of really cool. And uh, in a hipster sort of way, you got to like be into something before anyone else knew about it. Uh, and so I said, can I come? And he said, absolutely. And so he created this thing of like opening ceremonies. And so we've done it every year. And it started off with like 15,000. This past year, we're up to 40,000. We're getting up to the same types of numbers we're seeing at Comic-Con. And he had this surprise that no one knew it about, which was that the creator of Gundam, and uh, he, he created this uh, decades ago, uh, and uh, back in the, the 1970s. And he had the creator, Yoshiyuki Tomino, come, and I got to give him a citation, and I kind of got to fan out. 
Uh, I got to ask him a little bit about why he chose to have his villain in the series uh, uh, take possession and destroy New York City. And then I also got to thank him for having the heroes of the story save our city uh, in episode 10. And uh, he uh, was kind of, I felt a little bit more honored than I should have been because he was just so excited to see like a real politician in that blue suit representing a, a big city like New York City. They're giving him a, a citation uh, and that his, his work, which was really about peace and, and very anti-war, uh, had influenced elected officials uh, who uh, were now in positions to make public policy decisions. I love it. That's really great. That's really great. And I also just always find it fascinating. You know, we the American media, like we frame so much of the world is put through our through our lens and sort of seeing something from another culture's perspective, you know, created for that other culture's audience is like really an important m moment, I think, like gut check for American audiences to see on the regular. I I. I can I tell you about one other comic, which I'm, well, not comic, but cartoon that I'm also kind yeah. of in love with and was kind of a big influence uh -huh. on me. And I don't know if it's going to get a laugh or not, but I don't know if any of the listeners ever grew up watching Captain Planet and the Planeteers. He's our hero, and he's going to bring pollution down to zero. Yes. So I was marching in one of the... Uh, uh, climate change, the big climate change uh, march in New York City. And I saw a couple of people dressed as Captain Planet and I like immediately ran over to them. And like, as a person who likes cosplay, like you want to get photos with other people who are in cosplay. And so first thing is you always ask permission. So I asked permission, I identified myself, took the photo. And then one of the cosplayers is like, you're a politician and you like Captain Planet, you have to meet uh, the creator of Captain Planet, Barbara Pyle. <laughs> so I actually got to meet Barbara Pyle, and she's actually told me, and I'm hoping maybe there's other politicians who liked Captain Planet, but she says I'm the only elected official who's a planeteer. Uh, she, she gave me the, the official uh, recognition as a planeteer. Oh. I, I don't have a, a ring. Uh, well, actually, she offered me a ring, but I can't accept gifts. Uh, but uh, may maybe the closest power I have is, is heart. And she actually told me that, that she actually thought that that was actually the most important power of any of the planeteers. So I can't shoot fire out of my ring, uh, mm -hmm. but, but I hope I can have that heart. And uh, incidentally, we actually are the lot. I, I authored a resolution working with a group called Extinction Rebellion. Uh, yeah. to uh, declare a climate emergency. And we are the largest city on the planet to declare an emergency. London had already done it, but we're bigger. I love it. I love it. That's a perfect, perfect note for us, I think, to, to end on. Um, so Ben, so Ben, uh, thank you for getting on the show and chatting with us and also updating us about Extinction Rebellion and our planeteer status as New Yorkers. Um, where can our listeners uh, follow you and your works online? Sure. If they're interested in following what we're doing in our government office, they should hit me up at Ben Kalos on social media and at BenKalos.com. And if they're interested in our uh, erstwhile uh, campaign for Manhattan Borough President 
And uh, what's going to happen in our next uh, issue and episode, they should visit kalos.nyc and at kalos on social media. Uh, so, and you said your Twitter handle is, for, is at Ben Kalos, B-E-N-K-A-L-L-O-S. Correct. That's your, wait, is that the campaign one? Or your, so for, or... for government, it's at Ben Kalos, and for campaign, it's okay. just at Kalos. Got it. Great. Well, thank you again. And as we say to our listeners, uh, keep it geeky. But wait, real quick before I forget. Right, I'm on Twitter. I'm E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And I had the order to appear on two amazing podcasts this month already, beyond my own. Uh, I was a guest again on Struggle Sessions. This was a special Patreon-only episode uh, where I got to talk with Leslie Lee III and the other hosts about Batman The Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller and Lynn Varley's epic comic, one of the most influential comics of all time and one of the most political comics. So we got to talk about how the politics of that comic and the art stand up over time. Uh, So come and listen to me get really geeky with some socialists. It's pretty awesome. And... I was just on a really cool new comics podcast called Bitches on Comics. Um, they had seen me tweet about uh, how being chased around the house by a xenomorph is a quintessentially Jewish experience of Christmas. Um, and I was instantly invited on to join Bitches on Comics to talk about the famous uh, Kitty Pride Left Alone in the X-Men Mansion Christmas special from the 80s. Uh, that has her fighting the alien from Aliens after everybody abandons her in the house because they're all Goyim and they're up to no good. Um, And it became an amazing conversation about Judaism and popular cultural depictions of Jews and the Jewish experience of of life around Christmas and this super Christian-dominated culture that we live in. Um, it, It was a pleasure to be on their show, and their show is great. So check them out too, Bitches on Comics. And uh, before the end of the year, you can also join us real soon to listen to Graphic Policy Radio's Best Comics of 2019 podcast episode. I've got three really great guests joining me to talk about what comics we liked the most from the past year. Uh, Some really good recommendations for you there. So count on that um, just in time for your final Hanukkah gift purchasing needs. And as we always say, keep it geeky.